Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading in the Gospel of Mark that we just heard. We begin with a word of prayer. Mighty God, we do praise you that you are the Lord of heaven and earth who has come down in the flesh of Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Redeemer, to forgive us and grant us the gift of everlasting life. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we hear your word today, that you would grant us your Holy Spirit so that we would know that though you come to us in humble ways, you are creating a kingdom in this world. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you guys hear the, uh, the loud commotion here at church yesterday? The, the loud noises and the celebration and the, and the rejoicing that were taking place here at church yesterday? Did you guys hear this? Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about uh, the seven-hour council executive committee leadership planning meeting we had yesterday. That's not what I'm referring to. We did that. It wasn't a lot of loud noise in there. Uh, I'm talking about the heavenly choruses joining in the praises of God yesterday here at the church. You guys, you didn't, you didn't hear this? Well, it happened. Because yesterday, we had a baptism. And the angels were praising and the saints were singing and God spoke over the waters of little baby Noah Garza who was crucified with Christ and raised to a new life. Noah Garza, for those of you who do not know, is the great-grandson of uh, Lorne and Diane Keenbaum and we had a baptism for him here yesterday and the good shepherd found his sheep lost in sin, grabbed him and carried him home. And there was much rejoicing in heaven before the angels over this little sinner who was lost and was found. Right there, in that font, in the waters of baptism, the kingdom of God came to little Noah Garza. You guys didn't hear it, did you? You didn't hear the angels rejoicing. You didn't hear the saints singing. You didn't hear God speaking, did you? Neither did I. And I was the one doing it. (laughs) I was the one here. All of that happened, but it was hidden from our eyes and kept from our ears. All we had was the Word of God. All we had was the water. And all we had was the promise that in this water, God was saving that baby. And though heaven and earth rocked in that moment, it was all hidden from our sight. We kind of just mostly fumbled through a liturgy. Uh, Little Noah, this is one of those good baptisms too. He didn't cry at all. But actually, it was a little intimidating. Like, he stared daggers at me the whole time. Like, I'm baptizing He's like, what are you doing to me? And then I gave him back to the Godfather, and I said a blessing over him. And he looked, and he's like, yeah. It was really awesome. He had a great big smile. It was beautiful. Uh, but we didn't hear any angels. All of it really was just kind of plain and ordinary and mundane. As beautiful as the service was, it was pretty regular service. And yet in that moment, the kingdom of God came to Noah. And though he did nothing, and though there was no powerful uh, conversion experience or even a miraculous testimony for him to give, we know the baptism saved him because Christ promises that. God's kingdom came to him and walked. And what's so interesting about this is that if we're ever thinking about the way in which a kingdom will arise, we're not going to think about it like that with a flash of water and a word. When we think of kingdoms arriving, we tend to go to something like uh, the movie of Aladdin, right? 
Prince Ali, mighty is he, and here comes in all the dancers and all the singers and the king riding on the back of an elephant and all of this wonderful song. That's how we would expect a kingdom to arrive. But that's not how Christ's kingdom comes. And today, in the parables that we heard, Jesus is going to tell us now uh, that his kingdom comes to us in ways that surprise us and completely upend the way we view everything. Today we're going to learn that the kingdom comes to us in small and humble ways, and yet continues to grow. Now before we get into the parables, it's always good for us to, to understand the context in which these parables are being spoken, so we can grasp what it is Jesus is trying to teach us. And if you were here last week, some of this will be a little bit of review. But remember now, we're very early in the Gospel of Mark. And up to this point in Mark's Gospel, Jesus has shown up on the scene and he said, the kingdom of God has arrived in me. Here I am, God in the flesh, to be present among you. And he's begun to preach the word and forgive sins and cast out demons and heal the sick on the Sabbath day and all of these wonderful things. Now, if someone shows up and says, I'm God in the flesh and I've come to save the world, you would expect this God in the flesh to have angels circling around him, to have kingdoms cowering before him and armies fleeing from his presence. But in fact, you're not seeing anything like that. In fact, it's quite the opposite. As we heard last week, Jesus comes and he begins to preach and his mom and his brothers think he's nuts. The religious leaders who should know better think he's demonic. And the only people hanging around this guy are the riffraff and the wicked sinners of the community. This doesn't look like the arrival of an almighty king, nor does it look like the establishment of an all-powerful kingdom. This guy looks nuts. So what gives? Is this really the way in which Christ's kingdom will be established? Well, that's kind of the, the, what these parables are going to be doing for us today, is they're going to answer that question. These parables are going to show us that, it, once again, our view of how God's kingdom comes is completely backwards. So Jesus, as he so often does with his parables, is going to take our view of things and completely flip them on its head. You're expecting Prince Ali from Aladdin, Jesus says, but actually, the kingdom of God comes like this. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Jesus says, you're looking for royalty. My kingdom comes like a farmer throwing seeds on the ground. And, and notice what Jesus does here with this parable today. He shows us that God's kingdom really comes in, in sort of two phases. I think that's the right way of saying this. God's kingdom will come to us really in two phases phases. The first phase is described, like I just said, as this farmer throwing seed onto the ground. And this farmer scattering the seed, this represents Jesus' ministry and his ministry of the word. And, and we might say it this way, the, the ministry of word and sacrament. Jesus says, here I am, I've come on the scene, and he tells his disciples, we need to go from town to town so that I can preach, for that is what I've come to do. And see, he goes around preaching and, and forgiving sins and drawing sinners into his kingdom. But notice how he does this and where he does this. He does this in the very midst of everyday life. I love how he says this. This all happens while the farmer sleeps and rises. As the world turns, things just keep going on as they always have. And in the midst of that life, Jesus proclaims the arrival of his kingdom 
and hardly anybody realizes it or notices it, and it begins to grow. And none of this has, has really changed at all post-resurrection. This is still how God grows his kingdom. It's exactly what happened here yesterday uh, with little baby Noah. God came to him in the very midst of life. And we didn't see angels and we didn't hear saints or anything like this. But there on Saturday morning, while we were having a meeting in the ministries building, while people are driving their cars outside and walking their dogs, and you're all having a delightful Saturday morning, God was growing his kingdom in a way that was hardly noticeable. And yet the kingdom grew, and Noah was added, and the church remained and sustained. And it will go on this way, and hidden in small ways. It's how you were brought into this. It's how, why you are here. Because someone spoke a word to you, whatever else it was that ever brought you to the church. Somebody just simply preached a word and put some water on your head, or dunked you in the water, or whatever. And in that way, God grew his kingdom. It wasn't flashy or exciting. God was faithful. He grew his kingdom in that way. Humble and hidden. But not for long. Because Jesus tells us that there's a second phase to the coming of this kingdom. And this one will be glorious. And this one will be mighty. And this will be one that nobody will miss. This is what he's talking about today when he refers to the harvest. At once, when the grain is ripe, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And this is referring to that last day when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead. And he will send forth his angels to the four corners of the earth, as the scriptures say, and they will gather in all of Christ's saints into his kingdom. And there we will finally see with our eyes what we have believed with our hearts, that Christ Jesus himself, the crucified, is risen and is Lord of all creation. And we will look upon his face and we will sing with the angels and we will rejoice. As one of my favorite hymns says, faith will become sight and prayer will become praise. And we will see it and we will experience it, risen with Christ. For those who have been baptized and have believed, you will be a part of this. This is a gift for you. You here this morning, you have this to look forward to because Jesus Christ has purchased that kingdom for you with his own blood. You are saved and you are redeemed because of it. But it is a day of judgment. Those who have rejected and those who have ignored and those who have despised and lounged around in their sin, for them it will be a day of terror, of harsh judgment, of eternal punishment. But I think it's at this point that it's definitely worth noting for us that it is not God's will that any of those people would be lost. It is not God's will that any sinner would reject his son and sort of choose to be bound to hell for all of eternity. That is not God's will, and that's the point of the next parable here. In this next parable, what we find is that Jesus is saying, look, this kingdom has come, and it comes in small ways, but it comes for sinners from all over the world. Listen to what he said. What shall we compare the kingdom of God with, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like the grain of a mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it grows up, it becomes larger than all the garden plants. and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make their nests in its shade. Do you know how small a mustard seed is? 
Like, I was thinking of bringing a mustard seed to show you guys, but I thought, well, that's pointless because you couldn't see it anyways. But then I thought, maybe I'll just tell you that I have a mustard seed because you wouldn't know anyhow, but then I would be lying from the pulpit, and that's not allowed. It's a really small seed. Like, you can't see these things. They're very tiny. And once again, Jesus is reminding us that the kingdom of God comes in small ways. It comes small. And the smallest, weakest, most foolish thing you can think of, like, you know, a mustard seed. But once you plant that thing in the ground and it begins to grow, it becomes massive, so big, that you can have birds nesting and shading in the branches. Jesus here, in talking about this seed, I believe, is actually just referring to himself. To remind us that he hasn't come in power and glory. He's not found uh, sitting on clouds with glorious angels, but in a manger born of an obscure Jewish virgin as a member of one of the most oppressed people in the history of the world. It couldn't look more weak. It couldn't look more foolish. And just like any seed that before it bears fruit and grows branches, it has to be buried, this is exactly how Jesus is going to go about things in a way that looks so utterly foolish to us. He's going to establish his kingdom by growing up, living a perfect life, and then dying on a cross. And in his death, he will pay for your sins and my sins and for the sins of the whole world. And then he will be taken off of that cross and in essence, planted in the ground, laid in a tomb, like a mustard seed in the dirt. You and I know how it goes. On Easter morning, then, he bursts forth from that tomb. And like a seed that begins to grow, he begins to produce branches and fruit as he sends forth his disciples, baptizing and preaching, growing branches and giving birds a place to rest. Now, it is worth noting this. This is very interesting, I think. We do a really quick little Old Testament study here. If you read through the Old Testament and you come across the prophets, kind of like we were doing in our morning Bible studies for a while, very often in the prophets, you'll read about birds sort of coming in and nesting in Jerusalem or something like this. Now, this is symbolic language. In the Old Testament, this actually represents the Gentile enemy sinners coming in to God's kingdom, attacking God's kingdom and being a problem in God's kingdom. Birds represented Gentile sinners, enemies of God's people. But what Christ is teaching us today in this parable is that through his cross and through his shed blood, all of those peoples have been reconciled to God, and all of them are now called in to be a part of his people and to enter into his kingdom. And his kingdom grows quite large. It starts with a crucified Jewish rabbi, and now it has expanded to become the largest religion in the world. You know how we know that this is true? This is how you got here today. You're one of those birds. And you are now making a nest and resting in the shade of this mustard tree of a church where your sins are forgiven. And you are redeemed and reconciled and welcomed into the family of God. All of this Christ continues to accomplish for you and for me in this world. And then he continues the mission through us. We are among those now sent to proclaim this message of forgiveness and life and salvation to the world, to announce the arrival and the coming of Christ's kingdom, to, as Jesus says at the end of Matthew's Gospel, to baptize and to teach. And it's going to look weak. And it's going to look foolish. 
And we're going to be told you need to go out and take massive political stands and you need to fight against the system and you need to do these uh, new things that are going to impress the world. We're going to be told that the church will grow with all of these incredible new gimmicks and plans and opportunities. The weakness of preaching and baptism, that's old, that's passe. We need to do new and exciting and thrilling and profound. We need to remember, quite frankly, that Christ has been growing his church for over 2,000 years. It's nothing but a word and some water. It's mustard seeds from an empty tomb. And he did it again yesterday here for baby Noah. And he will continue to do it as we go forth preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in humble and hidden ways. Remember, they will not remain humble and hidden for long. For Christ will return and our faith will become sight and our prayers will become praise and we will join the angels in the heavenly chorus as we see our Jesus finally face to face. So come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you have gathered us into your kingdom, that you have made us members of your family. And we pray, Lord, that you would keep us bold in preaching your word and going forth with the waters of baptism so that others would come to know you, be reconciled to you. Keep us faithful, Lord, to your ministry. Let your word be done, or your word, your, let your will be done among us. We ask this in Jesus' name.